these are problems that are not waiting for tomorrow to be solved. There is a wonderful moment when a developer meets a business-informed person, and there's this cross-pollination that occurs where an age-old business problem with blockchain now as a set of tools and techniques for businesses to collaborate provides a resolution. see the sparkle in that founder's eye that, you know, this has been a thorn in our side for generations. And now we recognize it as an industry. Welcome to the Hack Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Jerry Coma. He's a VP of blockchain at IBM. And in this episode, we talk about Hyperledger, Hyperledger Fabric, and the open source initiatives that they're working on at IBM. This is an amazing episode where we discuss enterprise on the blockchain and we talk about some fascinating use cases that are already being brought to market. This is a great episode, so please stay tuned. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $50 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically, they give us a machine and we run a Dockerized instance of discourse on there. It's a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Jerry from IBM. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Hey, Trent. I am Jerry Cuomo at uh, IBM. I'm the uh, vice president for blockchain technologies and I'm an IBM fellow. And I'm working on blockchain technologies, and <laughs> specifically the IBM blockchain platform, which is a uh, platform that is powered by uh, technologies from the Hyperledger project, specifically uh, centered by Hyperledger Fabric. That's kind mm -hmm. of our, think about it as our operating system. And it's a set of value-added services uh, and tools around uh, Hyperledger that runs on the IBM cloud runs on your private cloud or any other public cloud and combinations thereof. So uh, some people call me the Genesis block on the IBM blockchain. Uh, <laughs> I'm certainly one of them. So I've been uh, doing this since uh, the blockchain thing since about 2014 at IBM. And before that, I was the CTO for our middleware software group. Awesome. And so what got you interested in blockchain technology and to lead this group? Hey, Trent, uh, you know, I, I put my kids through school on the mantra, write once, run anywhere. Like, that's the Java mantra. And kind of Java still is quite the force in what we sometimes call e-business. So if you uh, go to your bank and, and uh, online bank and do some online banking, uh, chances are the software that we, we wrote um, uh, as part of IBM WebSphere, powered by Java, uh, was as part of that system, or if you go, you know, participate in an auction at eBay and many other places around the the digital industry, our transactional software uh, that allows you to exchange things of value over the internet um, are are being used. So you, you probably see where I'm coming from, right? Yeah. And you know, and I got 
I got wrapped around uh, all of the things that we all know and love in technology. So I've worked a bit on mobile and a lot on cloud, IBM's cloud strategy, containerization strategy, and, and I've been on all of that in my role as the lead of our, our middleware uh, group on the technology side. And, you know, part of me, uh, Trent would say, is like, I put my kids through school around transaction processing. You know? <laughs> so what's the history books going to write about transaction processing? You know, first there was uh, the ledger, you know, the handwritten ledger, the little black book, and then the mainframe came. Uh, and, you know, still like some large percentage of the world's transactions, like airline reservation systems, Sabre, all those, those things of classic transaction processing, uh, that is that age of the mainframe transaction processing, then distributed transaction processing. And I mentioned the Ebays of the world, the Amazons mm-hmm. of the world, the whole internet running as a distributed network. And then what was the history book going to write next? It's all AI and you know <laughs> IoT and is transaction processing going to be left for dead is kind of what I thought. And then I saw... Um, Actually, I knew about Bitcoin, but then I saw um, Ethereum and fell in love because, you know, with this notion of a, of a world computer driven by transaction, pluggable, arbitrary transaction technology through smart contracts, I was like, wow, there is, there's a second life here or third life, fourth life, whatever it is, is the history books going to keep writing about this? And, and I want in, I want in, I want in, you know, I, I, I want to be part of that. And, you know, I found very quickly at IBM, you know, it's 400,000 employees on, on a good day at IBM. Um, so like several folks were coming to this view on their own and mm-hmm. uh, as a bit of a Pied Piper, um, not necessarily uh, by choice, but it kind of happened that uh, I became the spiritual leader of the chain gang and kind of had tabs on most of the projects in IBM that were related to blockchain and then started naturally pulling them together under some amazing leadership, uh, Arvind Krishna, Marie Week, Bridger von Krogen, of course, Ginny Rimetti, our, our CEO, they all have blockchain fever. So I was getting a lot of good coaching and, and financial support from them to bring the team together. And then under the leadership of, of uh, Marie Week, uh, we formed our blockchain unit. And I think it was like 2016. And, you know, the rest is is a blurry history. We've been going ever <laughs> since. And I have the, we have three pillars uh, our services pillar, which is consulting and build services. Uh, we've exchanged at least a dollar with with 500 plus customers working on blockchain projects. And it's pretty, from an industry perspective, that's pretty huge. That's the services. Then we have uh, our platform. That's the part of the business that I help run or that I run. And then, um, uh, then there's our uh, ventures, our blockchain ventures, where we have a few networks that we've actually helped co-create, like our Food Trust Network, our Trade Lens uh, Network, and our WorldWire Network. So that's that is the blockchain family at IBM now, and I have one of the three pillars. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about Hyperledger and permission blockchains and how that kind of works? Because you know a lot of people probably hear about blockchain. And you know they're they're seeing a lot of these decentralized projects, and they maybe don't understand the potential implications for the enterprise. Uh, absolutely, and and I, I also hear um, you know is it really a blockchain or is it you know true blockchains are public and anonymous and all of that kind of stuff. And you know I, I think I joked with you earlier today and said uh, you know is is light beer a beer? 
you know, <laughs> I think there are different types of beers. Uh, I like IPAs personally, but there are also different types of blockchain. So this, this species uh, of blockchain that we call enterprise blockchain is uh, increasingly becoming a vibrant blockchain. And its wealth is measured on the running networks uh, that, that, that have not. They, that there is hype, of course, like any, any new technology, but uh, beyond the hype, there's very practical networks out there solving very practical problems, but all aiming at you know, amazing moonshots. So let me tell you a little bit more. Uh, to follow the, the, the history, I did tell you I fell in love with Ethereum. And there's still, still part of me that really admires this vision of, of that world computer. Um, and as we started looking at Ethereum and talking to some of our enterprise customers um, who are looking at solving, using blockchain to solve some of their everyday problems, we realized that there were four things missing uh, uh, from Ethereum. And there was also a governance model that was missing. So four kind of technological things and one kind of operational thing. So on the operational side, it was the licensing model and the governance model. Mm-hmm. That made it problematic for us um, to, to interact with it. Licensing, it was a non-Apache or MIT license, i.e. non-friendly license, uh, as defined by like the Linux Foundation or the, the Apache organization, etc. And then the second thing is that um, the uh, things like uh, certificates of originality and the, the, the provenance of the code wasn't always known. And when you're going to commercialize a, a project, these things are important. You know, the legal licensing, but also being able to ultimately indemnify our customers from legal liability. We have to know the origin of the code, and we weren't able to get all that. And then architecturally, um, there were a, these four things that we felt every enterprise, they kept coming up over and over again. But because at the time, Ethereum lacked modularity, um, even with licensing issues, if we could have plugged our value add in and around it, that would have been good enough. But at the time, Ethereum lacked modularity, so we couldn't plug these four things in. So we decided to take a run at it, um, not by ourselves, uh, although about, for about a month, we started riffing on something inside IBM called Open Blockchain. Uh, we realized after talking to Jim Zemlin and team from the Linux Foundation, who were you know, legendary, like it's the gold standard for open source, like, look, IBM, I hope you're not thinking about doing this by yourself. And by the way, if you look over there on the side, you'll see like 12 other companies who've brought up this idea of blockchain for business. Why don't you team up with them? And we did. You know, the uh, uh, Intels and Cisco's and digital asset holdings and many others, we, we helped launch the, the Hyperledger uh, project as the greenhouse or the incubator for code, for real running code, not just ideas, not just collaborations, but doing that to generate the best code in the world for enterprise blockchain. And we donated the intellectual property and foundation at the time, 50,000 lines of code or so that has ultimately evolved with the help of many others uh, outside of IBM to be Hyperledger Fabric. And it embodies these, embodies these four things, what I keep referring to as four things, but never tell you what they are. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Hacker News is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $50 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. 
full-stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically, they give us a machine, and we run a Dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks, and discourse is ready to rock. Awesome. So, I mean, that, you know, that sets a foundation and it's a different kind of approach because for a major company like IBM to, you know, look at this from an open source perspective and not just go build some kind of proprietary system. I mean, that that's a huge step culturally for IBM as well. Yeah, yes and no. You know, I, again, I fed my kids through this culture and, you know, think about IBM's huge pivot um, some years ago. We had proprietary operating systems. Um, you know, of course, uh, some of them running quite well, like ZOS, uh, but on our mainframes, we support uh, Linux now. Um, mm. and, and we have AIX, uh, which was our um, power systems based uh, uh, Linux. And now we, we, you know, it's Linux everywhere uh, yeah. at IBM. And it's been that way for quite some time. You know, back in the day, uh, maybe a decade ago, we, we pledged to the industry that we would invest a billion dollars in Linux, and we've done that. So that kind of set a precedence. There was a school in IBM that followed that precedence. And, and then I came into the world around the Java time. And you know while Java wasn't completely open sourced at the time, it was an open collaboration. Um, and it was pretty cool because companies fiercely competed mm -hmm. and, and, and to build great modular technology and you can't compete with the I, iq of the group you know at some point when the group got together no individual company can outwit you know <laughs> that group working together regardless of who the company is and imagine how that works and i watched that as a kind of quote unquote a young engineer watching how this team together and how the ideas just kind of just circulates you know kind of spiraled around and became so powerful um but the software was also like linux we learned from linux to make the software modular and this way every company could put their personality around it and have a, a open source distribution at its core but plug value around it and that value did not lock customers in to their own platform like back in the in the java days with websphere a company might pick java as their standard and then pick ibm second as the vendor to deliver java through websphere and look if ibm let them down quality price they can pick up their wares and move to Oracle or HP or Sun, right? So it, mm -hmm. from a customer perspective, it, it was great because innovation, you know, through the roof, quality through the roof in record time, price down because there's this fierce competition to go along with the fierce collaboration, um, and risk goes down because you have freedom of action. So that forms a business model and an operational model around open source. That's, that, that's quite compelling. Now, it's a game of chance and risk, meaning mm -hmm. that you might invest heavily in something. Look, you know, we, we, we built a, a nice chunk of Hyperledger fabric, and you know, or it's at the center of Oracle's blockchain that competes with us. Um, you know, Amazon came on the scene, you know, picked up the source code. You know, at the time, haven't really contributed anything to it. They will now, but at the time, they just picked it up, and boom, Amazon managed blockchain is now in business. That's good for all of us. It's, it may sound crazy, but it's good for all of us because you know rising tide lifts all boats, right? So, so that's how I was trained early on in IBM. You know, around like the e-business era, and, and in a Pavlovian way, you know, I got a cookie. Like we behave that way, we got rewarded, 
And that reward helped me, you know, put a roof over my family's house as a developer and also um, send my kids through college. So now, you know, as a uh, maybe a more mature now executive at IBM, it's still Pavlovian. Like when the blockchain bell started ringing, there was only one way to do it. And that was the mm-hmm. open way. And you got to give a lot up to get a lot back. It, it may not sound obvious, but hopefully those examples that I use start to drive it home. But, but you need something that's really to get a true de facto standard that has to solve a problem. I keep mentioning the four things that enterprise blockchain uh, does. I, Trent, if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to quickly run yeah, through Yeah, let's, let's go through them. And, and I'd love to also hear a few use cases as well. Oh, oh, I can go on for, for a while on that. So these use cases um, that I'll talk about have something in common. They need an enterprise blockchain, which brings four things. Accountability. And uh, you've heard the term permission blockchain. That's mm-hmm. where accountability comes in. You have um, uh, keys that are given to an institution um, that represent their membership in the, the, the network, if you would. right? And And through that permissioning, through that, uh, that, that accountability, that membership card, the public and private keys, you're assigned permissions as to what you can and can't do in the network, right? So that's accountability, number one. Now, while you're known to the network, it's also important in business settings to be able to conduct your business privately and confidentially, right? So not everything you do in the network should be known to everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many blockchains like Quorum based on Ethereum, are broadcast-based models, so everyone in the network gets to see everything. In business, businesses get a little cranky, or not just cranky, there's regulations that say that everyone can't see everything. So in, in Hyperledger Fabric, we partition the blockchain in different ways. Like, for example, we have a construct called channels, which are very much like Slack channels, where you can scope transactions and participants who can interact in those transactions across those channels. Privacy, that's number two. Number three, performance. The use cases that I'm going to talk about have an insatiable appetite for performance, um, where uh, Bitcoin public network, you know, in the tens of transactions per second by design, you know, they, they, they have a very clever algorithm around mining proof of work that makes sure that the, uh, the participant with the biggest computer can't sway the outcome of the network. So they throttle the transactions on the network. So, but with that, that would make it prohibitive for some enterprise applications to run if the ceiling was in the tens of transactions per second. Ethereum does a little bit better, but with Hyperledger Fabric, because of things like um, no proof uh, um, of work, uh, we have custom consensus algorithms that can be plugged in. Uh, we see thousands of transactions per, that, are, that are possible. Mm-hmm. Could someone write bad code? And have it perform less? Of course, any system, whether it's blockchain or not, you got to write good code that follows best practices. But if you do, um, your dog can hunt, you know, from a performance perspective. That's number three. And number four is security. Um, And, you know, in a permission blockchain, it may not be about those nefarious characters coming into your network like you might see in an anonymous network. It's probably, oh, oh, why, while you might permission in someone who's less trustworthy, um, it's more about the careless actor that's in your system that might not be patching their system regularly, you know, not have as prudent IT practices as you do. And now their systems go down or, or, or somehow uh, become vulnerable. That can't compromise the whole network. So fault tolerance security is fault. So, so accountability through permissions, privacy and confidentiality number two, 
performance, and then last but not least, fault tolerance security. And this enables a wide variety of, of, um, of everyday um, use cases that you would know and love. Because IBM has landed some major contracts with some major companies that have implemented this technology. Do you have any examples that you can talk about publicly? Yeah, all, all, all day long. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I love about working on blockchain is we work we work with trail we we get to work with some of the initial uh, trailblazers of blockchain. And right now, if I were to put odds down or or, or, or ratios, I would say maybe eighty five percent of the world are still exploring blockchain. You know, mm-hmm. you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? with blockchain and the others, the other 15% of the trailblazers are saying, well, take your time growing up because we, we got a good thing going without you on the blockchain side and we want to keep our lead. So we, we are working with both very happily, but you know, the trailblazers are, are informing us. They're teaching us a lot about what matters. So those use cases, and when I say trailblazers, you might think of a Silicon Valley startup as the prototype, uh, prototypical, but you see all types, you see hundred year old, um, enterprise consortiums getting together and, you know, aggressively adopting blockchain. Maybe it's because they see the Grim Reaper in their rear view mirror coming up on mm-hmm. them um, or great startups. Like one startup that, that I love to talk about is True Tickets. True Tickets is building, has built, I'm sorry, they have a live platform. We had an event last night called Blockchain on Broadway as part of Blockchain Week in New York. Believe it or not, we had a blockchain play. Um, <laughs> but the tickets were issued on uh, True Tickets which is a digital ticketing platform to uh, take a run at eliminating a digital ticket and physical ticket counterfeiting, uh, which is a big problem. You know, there's uh, millions and millions of dollars lost a year, but also uh, the the, the very basic fact that uh, we got things a bit backwards in the world where the artists, the bands, the sport uh, 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 venues, they don't always get the lion's share of the value they create. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that middle person or institution or even way down the supply chain, the, the scalper that's getting a thousand percent on the ticket. You know, so with smart contracts um, and using the IBM blockchain platform powered by Hyperledger Fabric, um, uh, True Tickets is allowing the rules to be set, the ticket to be minted. There's only so many tickets, not one more, not one less. You can't create or, or destroy matter in this network. Um, the rules of the, uh, the, the creator always gets 80% and, and the value from that, that remaining 20, 20% is shared the following way down the supply chain. Of course, it can be sold through different platforms as long as those rules are followed. And yes, even if a scalper gets a hands on the ticket, they can resell it provided it's within the scope of the rules set by the smart contracts, right? So everyone, uh, maybe except a couple of groups, are, are, are happy, but the, 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 the consumer of the ticket gets its value and peace of mind that they um, didn't buy a fake ticket. Mm-hmm. But also the artist gets the fail, fair uh, value of, of what they've generated. So that's a great example of one of our, um, what I'd say, startup initiatives. But on, on the other side, we have also launched last uh, month uh, in full vigor in Canada, uh, the Verified Me Network that is anchored by seven major banks of Canada and convened uh, by a company called SecureKey. 
And with the Verified Me app that's downloadable in the, uh, from Google Play or from the App Store, Apple App Store, you can download Verified Me today in Canada and you can get your free credit score. And you can start taking control back of your identity by keeping it on your Verified Me wallet. And the institutions, like when you go uh, rent an apartment uh, or open up a bank account and you get, start getting asked all these questions, what you do is you permission to say, okay, I'm going to let the Department of Motor Vehicle answer this question once and only once. So you license mm-hmm. them the one-time right to answer the question on behalf of the real estate company that is going to lend you the apartment. And then the same thing with the bank. You give them a license to answer the question on your behalf. The cool part is the bank doesn't know who the real estate company is. The real estate company doesn't know who the bank is. And the network provider, SecureKey and IBM, don't know either. That's called triple blind uh, data exchange implemented through Hyperledger Fabric and IBM blockchain. And the funny part is, you know, the people love it and the government loves it because, you know, the government is sitting there saying, we have this wonderful thing called the digital revolution, but how do we protect society? Um, And how do we protect you know, uh, our, 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 our nation from digital intruders and, and digital theft of, of, of this information. When they see this notion of triple blind data exchange with no tracking and traceability, because now, again, the bank doesn't know who you are. They're like, this is nirvana. And it's all enabled through Hyperledger, Fabric, and Enterprise Blockchain with those four characteristics. That is a really cool use case because it puts the power back into the user's hands so they're in control of their data. Because I've had my personal identity stolen and it's a nightmare in these banks and the government, they they have no way of knowing how to deal with it. I mean, it's a real problem that we definitely need to solve. So that's awesome to hear that there is a blockchain solution to that. And it sounds like it, uh, yeah. has some and, real it, potential. It, and it, it sets the tone for other, um, I would say, uh, incubators or I would say, um, proof of concepts that are running, um, as pilots around healthcare, similar thought, you know, putting the ownership back in the hands of, of the individuals or, uh, it's some shape or form of supply chain and having, whether it's, removing counterfeiting from the supply chain, whether it's tickets or diamonds, or we, we have Everledger running on our platform, which is, you know, mind to finger uh, for, for making sure the Kimberly Act, which is a regulation to protect miners and making sure that when a diamond is sold, it's sold with a Kimberly certificate, which ensures some percentage of the sale goes back to improving conditions at the mine. So these are supply chains of sorts, and they're very pragmatic things, Trent. And, you know, People say, when is blockchain going to hit the enterprise? Um, And usually when they ask that question, it's thinking about a moonshot, thinking about this thing that's going to like some nirvana of like T, you know, T zero settlement, instantaneous settlement of, of, you know, stock transactions or something like that. Um, or, or, Or even some of the ones I mentioned around eradicating identity theft. And these are things that are all possible in our lifetime as moonshots. But I love the Apollo program. I love the, these individual activities that are happening today where the, you know, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and, and the beholders like True Tickets, like Secure Key, like Media Ocean here in, in New York City that's looking at um, allowing uh, 
people who are doing advertising to actually track the advertising spend across its life cycle. I didn't know that they couldn't do it. I like, they just trust the, like, how does that work? But they're getting value. Spreadsheets. <laughs> spreadsheets uh, they, 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 they hire, audit, hire auditors and stuff like that yeah. uh, to go figure Maybe these Maybe an oracle out. or a psychic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, but these are problems that are not waiting for tomorrow to be solved. There is a wonderful moment when a developer um, meets a, a, a business-informed person. And there's this cross-pollination that occurs where an age-old business problem with, you know, with blockchain now as a set of tools and techniques for businesses to collaborate provides a resolution, right? Mm-hmm. And when you see the sparkle in that founder's eye, or quote, quote, unquote, founders, that, you know, this has been a thorn in our side for generations, and now we recognize it as an industry. No one of our cohorts across our supply chain or even competitive banks like the ones in Canada um, get glory in solving these problems. Like some of these problems aren't competitive differentiators, but they all have to do it like KYC and AML. Mm -hmm. Um, If you um, you sign up for a a bank account in one bank and then do a credit card with a credit line on another bank, that's two activities that the two banks have to perform in duplicate. But there's little value back to the bank, and they spend you know hundreds of millions of dollars a year on these processes that can now be significantly simplified, bringing you know hundreds of, of thousands of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, sorry, back into their uh, into their hands to apply to more creative uh, projects that are going to help us. Right. So um, it's good to be a developer today. And it's good to be a business leader with a perennial problem. And when the two get together, sparks fly. And that's something we, we're so fortunate to see at IBM happening on our platform. And you've written a book about this as well, haven't you? Yep. Go to Amazon, uh, Blockchain for Business. Um, Arun, Cuomo, and Gaur uh, are the three authors. I'm the guy in the middle, Cuomo. So if you do Blockchain for Business, Cuomo... You'll find it on on Amazon, and I talk about a lot of the things I've just shared with you, uh, uh, with with my colleagues in a little bit more detail. Awesome! And since this is the Hacker Noon podcast, I've got to ask: What is some time in your life that you've had to hack something? Trent, I uh, was born curious, and uh, hacking is in my nature. Taking taking apart radios and um, uh, draping a radio a wire to connect two speakers that I plucked out of radios um, and draped it over my head, you know, as the first earbuds, um, <laughs> you know, the hacking electronics was something I did earlier. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that I have is a great combination of curiosity and being lazy. And that I think makes for a good hacker. Um, I will claim the, the rights with a colleague of mine, Richard Redpath, for um, if you ever text someone and you see the bubble with dot, dot, dot. Um, I have a patent on that with Richard. Uh, <laughs> I invented the dot, 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 or the such and such is typing in, 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 in chat systems. And I did that at a pure laziness. We were, uh, IBM same time was an early, um, uh, an early chat tool that uh, was built for enterprise. And we were testing the system and we weren't sure if it was working. So I hacked in a little debug line, which was to put X's when someone was typing. And that didn't work out because what you would see is uh, someone would be writing like 
a lot of X's which show up in the typing line. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it would go down and it, and it would be like a one word answer, like, yes. And then you would say, no, no, that's not what you were saying. So we had to anonymize it more. Uh, and I was foreshadowing maybe my work on cryptography and, and blockchain. So now it was just like, you know, Trent is typing. Yeah. And I think Apple came up with an even clever visual, which was just the dot, dot, dot in the bubble. <laughs> so yeah, th- those are some of my more, more cl- clever hacks. But I, I will tell you, uh, less ingenuity, more uh, curiosity and laziness. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty awesome is, one. I mean, yeah. it's maybe added a bit of anxiety to the world, though, uh, you know, waiting to see what that person's going to send. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's I, I had anxiety fun. at the time as to whether our chat system was working. So <laughs> that, was the, uh, that was a near term anxiety that I think we've shared now with the world. But, <laughs> you know, the other person is there, which is all I wanted to know at the time. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, can you tell us a bit uh, if you've got any final thoughts uh, before we wrap up here? Yeah. Um, just I, I found myself in a position at IBM that, to be honest, I, I relished a bit as the blockchain judge um, and blockchain jury. So people would come to me and say, uh, hey, Jerry, is this a good blockchain idea? And I would think about it and say yes or no. And then um, I think in 2016, once I told someone that I didn't think their idea was such a good blockchain idea and they didn't listen to me. And then about uh, a year or so later, um, I saw what they did. And so it turned out what they did wasn't perhaps the greatest idea, but they pivoted a few times to one of the best blockchain ideas I ever saw. So, you know, uh, my, my advice is um, the best blockchain idea is the one you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And if it's not the best idea, that's okay. You'll make it so. But I also uh, am one of several who coined the phrase blockchain is a team sport. And when I say that, I mean that um, at, at some point, blockchain is best when done by a group. You can't do it as an individual uh, company. Um, you can start that way, uh, but it's best when you start bringing in your business partners. So uh, the best blockchain project is the one that you're doing. Um, I won't judge. Uh, just get in there and start doing it but the very best blockchain project is the one that you're doing with a group, with your partners and um, supply chain, uh, brethren, uh, competitors, et cetera. Uh, Start simple, grow, have your um, moonshot in mind with that twinkle in your eye, but please employ your Apollo program, start pragmatically and incrementally and you'll be off to the races. Awesome. And where can people find you? They can find me on uh, LinkedIn at Jerry Cuomo or on Twitter at Jerry Cuomo, or you can find me on in the book review section of Amazon, <laughs> if you're so kind. Uh, right now, there is, a, uh, I think, a 35% discount. If you go and Google us on LinkedIn, you can get uh, the code to get a 35% discount for blockchain for business. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Trent. Uh, Thank you for your great questions. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.